Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. My guest today is Wes Pooley. Wes is hard of hearing and a professional rugby player who inspires others on and off the field. Wes, thank you so much for joining me on the coaching call today. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to having a chat with you today. It's my pleasure. You do something that we don't necessarily do too well here in, in the United States. You play rugby. Yeah, so my kind of background is I'm an ex-professional international rugby player. Um, I'm actually also current, uh, currently a Welsh deaf international rugby player because um, I'm half deaf in both ears. Wow, that is incredible. And, and, and you've done so much with the fact that you've taken rugby and you've created basically a coaching atmosphere and you've helped other deaf people. Yeah, so I've kind of worked within the, the rugby industry for a long, long time, coaching and delivering uh, and working as a rugby development officer, working with girls and bringing girls into the game, as well as working in the uh, the deaf arena and helping disability sport and, you know, bringing children and youth through and helping and supporting them, as well as obviously now we've have a, in the Wales team um, and in the England team, we have a women's team um, out in Australia, Probably now, must be three years ago, we had a World Cup out there and uh, the Australians had a, had a women's team as well. So, yeah, it's growing and developing. And, yeah, as, as, as we get on and move forward, we're hoping for it to grow even more. Awesome. So tell me, how did you start playing rugby? So I was very lucky. My, my dad was in the forces, so he managed to do a bit of travelling. But I went to a boarding school in England called Bromsgrove, uh, where I was lucky enough to basically be given the opportunity to play a lots of different sports. And um, fortunately for me, I was very practically driven um, and I love playing rugby and had some really great coaches who played and coached at a very high level. Basically from there, I just developed over time and learned kind of the trade and that and basically played for lots of different clubs and grew into basically a coach and understood how to kind of help people and ended up where I am today with strength conditioning and working in the field of genetics. But the development came from different kind of aspects where I played club rugby for Bromsgrove and Worcester Rugby Club at a younger age while I was at school and then developed uh, luckily into playing uh, professional rugby with Cardiff Blues and then international Welsh Sevens 
And along the line also, I get to play a lot of sevens and tens rugby now. As I'm older, I'm actually a vet now, um, where I travel the world and play lots of do- different sevens tournaments, uh, te- sevens and tens tournaments, sorry, in places like Dubai, South Africa, Bangkok, Amsterdam, Belgium, and all these different places. So I'm very, very lucky in that way that I can do that. Mm-hmm. The key for me is giving back to kind of rugby as much as I can and, you know, helping people in that arena, whether it's in the working life or whether it's, you know, giving back to kids or giving back to charities. And that's what we kind of do now as vets is we try and give back to charities as much as possible to really, really help in every way we can. That's that's amazing. You're passing it forward. Tell me, how did you go from just playing rugby to becoming a professional and who helped you uh, achieve that goal? Yeah, so I, I was very, very lucky. Like I said to you, I think because I played rugby at such a young age, of the age of eight, um, and I was in boarding school till the age of 18, basically rugby was, you know, day in, day out, a lot, you know, a, a lot of time we spent, we were probably doing anywhere up to 12 hours of rugby a week, lots of coaching, a couple of games on a Wednesday and a Saturday. Also, if you had club rugby, you sometimes play on a Sunday as well, which nowadays is kind of um, frowned upon, shall we say, because it's just too much and, you know, the body can only deal with so much. But I learned to kind of, you know, work with different people. As I said, I had had really good coaching and, I mean, the, the knowledge people have now and the strength conditioning and the physio and the medical and the nutrition side now is massive compared to what it was those days. So that's really helped drop mm-hmm. forward. But then I met a, a, a young gentleman called Julian McTavish, who was seconded out of the actual the army, um, and he he was the rugby development officer of the area I lived in while I was at university, playing with um, Cardiff at the time. And obviously, he you know brought me, took me under his wing very kindly, and you know helped me out, you know helped me organise myself, helped me understand rugby, and got me into coaching, and that kind of developed me as a player because I understood how to play, why we were playing, what you were doing, and obviously teaching and kids at a young age and bringing girls into it and bringing disability into it you learn and understand a lot better how to teach people because teaching isn't an easy thing to do and uh, people don't realize that like you know your your top athletes aren't necessarily ever going to be good coaches because Mm -hmm. they naturally be very very good at what they do and for me I was never the best at what I did I was just I worked so so hard and I put so many hours into doing what I did and and luckily enough I was very fortunate to take the opportunities I could luckily enough I'm you know I, I managed to stay away from injury for a period of time which allowed me to be successful and you know there, there were highs and lows of, of of that but to be able to you know play at a, a decent level and even play pro and then go to play in the international stage and the trips I've done with the Welsh Def rugby team is you know I can't thank them, you know, rugby enough and thank the people that were around me and supported me at those times. You mentioned something about injury. You're, the way we play here in the United States, there's a lot of padding going on. There's shoulder pads and this pad and, you know, on your thighs. and You guys are wearing nothing. <laughs> so, I mean, you guys are like warriors and, and, and it's basically football, but without all the padding. Is that, help me understand what rugby is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are obviously rugby is a growing area in, in the USA. I'm very good friends with Mike Friday, who is the, the USA seventh rugby, rugby coach. Um, there's some great players in that team that I've played with. And I, you know, I've, I've met personally people like Perry Baker, Colin Isles, and there's some other guys that kind of are in that squad that I still know. Kayvon uh, Williams is one of them that's still in there. Chris Bettina, who plays in the top league out there, who was with US 7s. I've been lucky enough to say I've played with them and trained with them. And, you know, it's rugby 
is a developing sport over there and they're getting better and better even when you saw kind of the last World Cup and you saw how USA performed against some of the better teams it's growing obviously the difference in the bigger sport in America is NFL where obviously kind of one of the Brits Christian Wade who played England sevens played high level in England now playing you know NFL out there but there are you know, it's a different game. It's a different kind of methodology behind how you play. And when you look at the guys when you're playing NFL, you're talking about guys who are weighing 20 plus stone, you know, colliding with people. Mm. That's why I believe that, you know, you're, you're wearing that sort of padding and that sort of protection. But it's a different sort of conditioning, isn't it? Because an uh, NFL game lasts anywhere between three to four hours, whereas a rugby game is literally 80 minutes there's you know a higher level the ball's in play a lot a lot longer than kind of NFL where you're playing kind of you know 10 seconds you get a break for a minute and then you start again whereas rugby is you play you play you play you could be playing for six five six minutes non-stop where you're colliding with people over and over and over again um so it's a different sort of conditioning and uh even for the seven stature is I mean that's just another world of absolute conditioning they are some top top athletes in the world that play to a great, great level. And, you know, you have the utmost admiration for these kind of guys who condition themselves in this way. A real warrior sport, if you think about it. You guys are colliding constantly. What is the recovery time after a game? How do you guys recover? Because you're really banging into each other. You're running. You're constantly in, in motion. It's, it's a very high adrenaline type of game. And and must be really high when your energy's up there. You're flying. You're you're running. You're you're attacking. You're getting attacked. Looks amazing. I've never played it, and I think I I probably would get killed. But I'd I'd love to try it. You know. <laughs> but what is the recovery like after after a tough game? Yeah, I mean it's different now these days. I mean if you go back to the old days, probably the players weren't as weren't as powerful, weren't as strong, weren't as conditioned. Basically, the, rec- the, the recovery time was kind of is was different because of that. Obviously, nowadays in the in, a, in the modern game, the, the squads are slightly bigger because the intensity and the level of the game and the collisions and the strength of the, the players now are, are astronomical. But you've also got strength conditioning coaches, which you which you did have back, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But with, there weren't there wasn't the science behind it. There wasn't the the time spent in conditioning and stuff like that. It was more kind of, yeah, go for a run and do this and you might do this. Whereas now there's set programs to build power, strength and different developments over time. And obviously there's a massive implication now behind the medical arena where, you know, they're looking after the wellness of players and looking after the care of the players. They subject the availability of players to play due to time because Obviously, the like you're saying is because of the collisions, certain people need more time to recover. And again, it's it's not necessarily every position would would happen need the same time recovery. And it's not even the same kind of pe- people aged at different ages need different time recovery. So mm-hmm. it's not it's, it's quite hard to say how someone would recover quicker than someone else because again, there's genetics involved. There's um, the medical teams, which can provide cryo chambers, massage, physio, the medical teams are astronomically intelligent and very scientifically driven. And, and you know, the, the wellness of the players is the most important thing because if they don't perform um, because they're injured, you can't use them. And, and unfortunately, they get paid some good money. So you need to make sure that they're available to play. But also, you've now got a lot of nutritionists based in teams and clubs and 
making sure that these players are fueling the bodies correctly and making sure they're getting the right supplementation, the right vitamins and minerals in their body, which allow them to perform, but also then allow them to hydrate and have the right volumes of stuff going on when they're training, but also then afterwards, which is really, really important, they get the right recovery time, they get the right relaxations. I mean, some clubs have sleep pods, so they actually go and sleep because it's important they get as much recovery as possible. And that's when you are mm-hmm. recovered. So sleep's kind of coming more and more prevalent now as well. So there's lots of different things that kind of uh, manipulate recovery. And, you know, you, it's hard to say, oh, you know, people take a day to recover. I mean, now you would have your day after your game, you would have recovery days where you go and do, you know, some active recovery, some pool sessions, some massage. You might go in for a light sort of, group session with something you might do some yoga you might do some pilates you know there's so many things that that, that, that are now in place and people to look at things in isolation whereas now you can't there's so many holistic things to recovery fatigue and nutrition strength conditioning game time ability age of player so you can see there's quite a lot of things that kind of you know manipulate that recovery time oh without a doubt and and so many people are involved in the health of a player and and you've decided to do the strength and conditioning part now that you've been a player so you're playing a huge part in the strength and conditioning what made you go into the strength and conditioning aspect of it i suppose it was from the the playing rugby sevens probably because i was always about being conditioned as possible i really enjoyed you know being in the best physical shape I could be in as a rugby player and, and and being able to perform. I mean, I love playing different sports. So for me, being just being an athlete enabled me to be a better sportsman generally across the board. And, you know, the gym just came part and parcel of that. But going into strength conditioning, it was how do I help people not get injured? That's kind of what the, the, for me is, is the stronger you are from a younger age and the stronger you are even as you grow up and the, and the more functional you are, the less likely you're going to get injured, which means you are able to do things. And people need to understand that, you know, there are, it's quite a, you have periodization of training to understand how to train people across different periods of time, but it's also understanding the functionality behind being athletic. And that's the important thing is, is how can you be, make people as athletic as possible? Because it's easy to teach someone to play rugby, but it's not easy to teach an athlete to be an athlete. You know, some lots mm-hmm. of people are lucky enough to be athletes and you can really, really enhance that. But if you can get people to get conditioned and understand that they can pretty much do most things and it over time it was how can I help actual general population so people see strength conditioning coaches as just people who now deal with athletes but strength conditioning coaches you have them in medical facilities because they can help elderly people return to walking they can help children build strength and um, power that they need to be physically athletic for a general well-being of life and you know right, right. people getting injured and lots of people get injured because they don't train uh, don't necessarily need to train they just need to do certain movements that the body requires them to do and I've, I've always been about helping people so I've now gone into coaching trainers to train more trainers because it, for me it's about helping as many people as possible so if I can pass on my limited knowledge to onto people so that they can pass that knowledge on to more people and people make things very very complicated and I say to people is try and keep things really simple because if you can explain something to someone and they understand it they're more likely mm-hmm. able to do it no different with nutrition if they understand nutrition and they can understand how to make those simple basic changes they make lifestyle and habit changes that stick with them for the rest of their lives and that because they then become 
independent to make the right choices at the right time for them, but you're giving them dis- choices to make. And that was what kind of, for me, was my drive was how can I help people? And this was something that I was passionate about. I, I, I really enjoyed being, I'm a practically based person and I enjoy helping people as much as I can. So that's kind of how it linked into my career progression um, because I was a teacher before that as well in PE and public services. So it kind of all kind of just slowly linked in. You, you, you found your, your purpose. You know, one of the things that you, you did mention was functional training. And I believe functional training is so important. And a lot of people think that, you know, strength and, train, uh, strength and conditioning is about lifting weights. But it's so much more than that. Tell me a little bit more, um, because I, I totally believe in functional training. But would you mention, uh, go ahead and talk a little bit more about functional training? Yeah, of course. I mean, basically the word is how functional is, how are you able to do your daily to day things? So how are you functionally able to do those? So it's not about moving weight because you don't move a hundred kilograms from A to B unless you're working in a construction industry or an industry that Mm -hmm. you need to be able to, you know, lift trees or blocks of concrete or, you know, whatever it may be. It's more about being able to be functionally strong in different planes of movement, which are looking at people kind of moving in a in a in a in a a simple plane of movement like a sagittal plane as we call it and then you have frontal plane and transverse plane normally you find if you can develop strength in a transverse plane you'll make people generally stronger therefore less likely to get injured and then you can develop strength in the sagittal plane the problem is is people train people in the sagittal plane and they get to a point where they plateau or they get injured because they haven't got the functionality to move in all the other planes and do all the mm-hmm. movements we do. You know, the simple one for me is squatting. When you look at someone squatting, it comes from babies. Look at the position babies sit in front of the TV. They're sat in the, mm-hmm. in, a, in a simple squat position, and then people wonder why, as they get older, why they can't do that. And that's because we untrain ourselves to do that. So if you can help youngsters and we can develop you know, in the educational setting, more functional training, more understanding behind nutrition, and we can start training people there, it will just filter into your natural population moving forward. And that's where we've gone away from not looking at those areas. And that's, you know, that's why in this environment now, if we can make people healthy and help people understand how important functional training is, and that could just be, you know, walking or cycling or swimming, you know, swimming is a, a, you know, a massive area where, you get fit and you use muscles that you never knew how you to use. Mm-hmm. Great skill also to have. And that's one of the most functional things, most functional things ever, because you get to do stuff that, you know, uses more muscles in the body than you're used to, but also is looking at your internal organs, like your heart and your lungs and how to use those as well as your muscles. Right. Right. So functional training is, is basically everything that we do on a regular basis, but a lot of people are not necessarily moving correctly so this is where we're looking at lines right how the body moves the alignment of of the body the way we're going through the transverse uh, sections of our body and and moving along it so as important as that is strength and conditioning when we talk about the conditioning part are we talking the cardio based are we talking about the stamina help help us out here <laughs> i mean i know but i just want everybody to be clear on what the conditioning part is yeah it depends on what your what again what your goal is i suppose and what you're trying to be conditioned for mm. because conditioning at an elite level is different to a general 
health and well-being conditioning. So you could be conditioned at the age of 80 years old because you can walk and you can you can exercise and you can do things. Well, it's no different than a child being conditioned is is being able to do things. And it's not based on body types or anything like that. It's literally having the ability to be able to perform, you know, your day to day life. Mm-hmm. And if you do more than that, then you could be conditioned for it. It's, it's difficult to say because if you use rugby as a sport, there's different conditioning requirements for different positions on the pitch. So you could say a prop forward needs to be able to, how to achieve this. So you look at it kind of your needs analysis of your player and going, they need to achieve this or your needs analysis of your general client and going, you know, what are you trying to achieve? Well, I'm trying to be healthier. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to gain weight. I'm trying to be bigger, whatever it may be is. And then you're conditioning that person for that reason, um, because you need basically a work capacity first before you worry about everything else because what happens is people try to to jump this jump the pyramid as i call it by trying to train someone in strength when they haven't even got the basic levels of of of, uh, work capacity where they're not aerobically fit before they become anaerobically fit Mm -hmm. um and then strength strong and it's understanding you know just kind of keeping things really simple and basic and just having a step-by-step process of basically looking after people's well-being um, because as long as they're well-being, they're not fatigued, they're sleeping well, they're not stressed, those sorts of things, they're, they're, they they could be conditioned for daily life um, because you're now looking at it from an athletic perspective rather than just a general day perspective. When you're training, a, a, let, let's say, a regular person compared to an athlete, obviously you're going to look at the what they're doing. But let's say you have an athlete and you you're going to find out what exactly, what position they're going to be playing. And then you're going to dive into getting them either stronger in that area or more conditioned in that area, depending on what they are looking for, correct? Yeah, again, they go hand in hand. So you don't look at things in isolation again. You're looking at the full package and what you're trying to get them in condition for, because strength can be a part of conditioning, because if they are strong, they're going to be conditioned to not get injured. So therefore, that's a form of conditioning. So it depends. It might even be looking at flexibility, mobility. So you're looking at things like Pilates and yoga to be able to deal that. I mean, you can then go down the, are they conditioned from psychological perspective? Because mm. do they have the mindset to be able to, to do things? Or are they motivated you know you know more more nowadays is look at things in a positive way and look at how we can help and support people to do things in a positive way hence why we always say give things to people in steps little small steps make those simple small steps to where you want to go because the easiest analogy is to go if you've eaten badly for 20 years and you haven't exercised and you're overweight then you're not going to lose that weight to the weight you want to be in a day it's going to take you 12, 24 weeks plus to, to, right. to slowly get that way off because you need to do it safely, healthily, and in the right way. But it's normally a mindset thing first. It's actually having that ability to work with someone and get them psychologically ready, not necessarily physically ready first. And if you can get someone to buy into what they want to do and you can then help them understand how to achieve that, then the physical aspect behind it becomes really really easy because i would say the physical comes last because before that you've even got nutrition because if they're not fueling the body correctly and they're not re- eating the right stuff afterwards they're not even going to recover properly so can you motivate someone to achieve something and normally it's getting someone to that stage where we call it stages of change where you want them to get them to that stage that they feel they even want to make a change and once they're there it's a lot lot easier to get get them to do these small simple steps 
but sometimes you have to get people to understand that and they have to want to do it. Right. So it's basically mental is first. That's the most, and that's the key ingredient. A lot of people want to lose the weight, but their mindset is not. They're misguided because they're thinking that I just want to lose the weight, but they're not willing to do the work. So they haven't set their mind to do the work and eat right and work out and do the right thing so that they can live longer. So when you, even when you're dealing with an athlete, I think one of the, do you typically, especially with a high level athlete, are you looking at what their, where their mindset is? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's probably one of the big things that have, we have psychologists at clubs, at, you know, at, you know, half, you know, whether it's semi-pro, pro and in international level, obviously, definitely you have psychologists for that reason, because players do break down because the stresses that they're put under, uh, especially the, the elite level, the, you know, the pressure they're put under by PR, the pressure they're put under to perform, the pressure they're put under to, you know, do what they need to do is massive. And, and people take that for granted sometimes. And I say people are very, sometimes, unfortunately, very negative towards athletes mm-hmm. who don't perform. But, you know, we all don't perform all the time, well, all the time. And that's no different in daily life to it is to an athlete doing that. And understanding that is really, really important because it, it's, is also having the knowledge as well, because it's great saying they might not be have the motivation to change, but if they don't have the knowledge to know how to, again, that mm-hmm. and it's the same with athletes. Athletes are, you know, years and years ago were were just told what to do, whereas now we're starting to educate them to understand. So in these academy structures that we have, and you know, the, the grassroots that feed into the academies that feed into the you know the, the international pros and international teams, we're actually starting to educate the children and the parents that then has that massive knock-on effect that as they get older, they can start making the right choices and decisions for themselves. But yeah, I mean, psychologically, it's really, really important. Um, and obviously mental health has become a massive thing nowadays uh, when mm-hmm. stressed, you know, stressed, uh, struggling to deal with anxiety. And there's so many different forms of that. And there's lots of top athletes that have come out going, yeah, I know I struggled to get out of the changing room or I, you know, I was being sick before I went to the changing room or, you know, I, I didn't want to play or I was under so much pressure that I faked an injury, whatever it may be. So again, looking after the psychological wellness of someone is probably more important than the, the physical because it's the mind that basically allows you to do everything. That's right. <laughs> it is the mind. And, and the mind is so complicated that it does allow us, if we are open to take the suggestions that someone as an expert as yourself are willing and giving because a lot of times people are close-minded and they're not willing to take the advice so they're not they're afraid to ask for the advice or for the help yeah I mean, again i suppose everyone's different and that's you know you can't you can't you can't pitch on all people and and say all athletes are the same because we're not no different than anything else so mm-hmm. it's how to be some people like when i was a player I, I wanted people to be, my coach to be negative to me. I wanted to know what I did wrong. I didn't care what I did right. If he didn't talk about the game, it didn't matter to me. It meant I'd done my job. I did what I needed to and I performed the way I needed to. And then when I did my match analysis and game analysis and personal analysis on my skill set or my missed tackles or my tackles or whatever it was, you know, where I was on the pitch and et cetera, et cetera, I would learn from that experience and obviously have conversations. But I just wanted to know that I wanted him to criticize me and go, you did this, you did this wrong. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? And that was the way I worked. But there's, there's lots and lots of athletes that don't work that way. They, 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 they thrive on positivity. And most people mm-hmm. in, in everyday life thrive on positivity. So 
what you know the, yes there are some athletes out there can deal with the negative the criticisms and stuff like that but there's lots that can't so you have to learn how to deal with different athletes and you do that by communicating with them and understanding and learning how they deal with scenarios and it doesn't necessarily need to be in a in a you know a practical asset it could be in a theoretical could be in a classroom could be you get them to do what we call command tasks with the army and marines and stuff where they're working in teams and you get them to see whether are they a leader or are they someone that mm-hmm. someone that does that and then you could slowly you know break down these people to you know not necessarily manipulate them but help them grow into what you needed to or help them learn to deal with the stresses or the barriers that you know we as humans tend to put barriers in front of everything you know why are we unfit oh i haven't got the time i've got family i haven't got the money i haven't got this i haven't got that i don't know this but it's not that it's taking those away and going but you can if you want to you just need to look at prioritizing what it is you need to do to achieve these different small steps and let's you know look at what you're trying to achieve and let's put a really simple small step into place because once you get that positive and you reinforce that positive they want to go again and they want to go again and they want to go again so sometimes you've got to look biggest bang for your buck to allow you to then progress moving forward Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of the things that you just mentioned was communication and that is so huge especially for top athletes because they they need to communicate and and some of them are losing it maybe because they're afraid of telling someone how they feel and i i command you guys for the fact that in some of the clubs that you guys have have psychologists there to help everybody out because with all that pressure an athlete has to perform and like you said you have bad days and you have great days and you have an amazing days so that communication is huge just to be able to say hey you know what i'm not feeling it today or you know i feel amazing today and even if you feel amazing, you can still have a bad day. So communication is very big, especially in, in the top level and for anybody, actually. Yeah, I mean, learning to communicate is really important. And there are right times and wrong times to communicate at, at, at the higher level and knowing when to speak and when not to speak. But you need to be providing the players and the athletes with that time where they can they can say what they need to say. They can get off their chest what they need to, but they need not to be judged but by saying what they've got to. And it's the coach, you know, some very, very good coaches at the top end are very good at that. And they're, they're willing to sit down and listen to their players and listen to what they've got to say. And they're not, you know, they're not going to judge them afterwards. And people tend not to want to say stuff because they feel like they're being judged. They can't be who they're going to be because they're being judged more than, you know, say what you need to get it off your chair. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't understand something, say that you don't understand it. And then we can work a way around it because we have diff- obviously different types of learning. So some people are, you know, verbal learners. Some people are kinesthetic learners. Some people are practical learners. Some people are visual learners. So it's, there's so many different ways to stimulate learning ability. So you need to look right, at that right. as well because you might be able to go, by the way, this is how you squat and you tell that someone. But if you actually showed someone a practical video of someone squatting and go, can you do that? More people will be able to do it than if you just wrote a list of coaching points and said, perform this. Right. It's a uh, visual. Uh, I would say a, a huge percentage of the population are visual learners. And when you're able to communicate in all levels of uh, learning, whether it's uh, kinesthetic, visual, or auditory, it's, it, it just makes you that much of a better coach. What's your, what's your favorite part about being a coach? Seeing people succeed, and, that, and that's not necessarily playing at the elite level, that is someone who couldn't kick a ball with their left foot and can now kick a ball with their left foot, that mm. couldn't run through some ladders 
or couldn't lift a weight or couldn't pass a ball. You know, those are simple skills that depending on what age group and ability level you're working with, they are all achievements. And that's what people don't re- really understand sometimes is they take for granted where they are and don't realize that we all started somewhere. So mm-hmm. every day we are succeeding, we sh- we're learning. And, you know, and that's for me is the key is, is if someone's trying to, to do something and they achieve it, then they should be, there should be positive reinforcement behind that because it, it, it normally promotes more uh, achievement rather than looking at it from a negative right. perspective. So it's a difficult one because like you say, it's depending on where they are, would depend on success. Like people measure success, unfortunately, you know, at the international level is they've won a gold medal or they've won five gold medals or 10 gold medals, but mm-hmm. look at the population and go, how many percentage in the world have ever won a gold medal? So right. but everyone has a, a level of which is, this is what I'm striving to be and that's what I want to achieve. Some people could say to people like, you know, you, you, you've had some really good achievements and some people could say, well, no, you haven't. Um, so it depends where you're, where you want to level that and, and who you're speaking to, I guess. But I think, I believe people who are achieving things on a daily basis, no matter how big or small they you know, they're, they're being successful. And that, and that's the important thing for me as a coach is, is, you know, they're learning something on that day that, you know, it could be, like I said to you, it could be psychologically, they've, mm-hmm. that they've just suddenly understood something they didn't understand before, or, they've actually told me something and they've opened up to me and told me some information that they've never told me or you know, they're telling me how they feel or suddenly they understand what rate of perceived exertion means, for example. Do you know what I mean? Just really, really simple things. And you just have to understand that in the broader picture, I believe. So who, who influenced you to, to really pursue everything? Because I know you started when you were eight playing rugby, but who, who influenced you, would you say, the most to really pursue your 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 goals and, and achieve what you have? I don't think you can I don't think I could ever put it down to one person. I I mean, I suppose it was my drive uh, you know when I when I was growing up to do different things and try different things. And I suppose my mindset was always to do everything the best I could and be the best I could be and and perform whenever I could at the best of levels. I mean, like I said, I was, I was never a theoretical person. Um, you know, if we go back to when I was a school teacher and you spoke to my English teacher and people like that, I'd be like, he'd never be a teacher. He, you know, he can't spell, you know, I was, I was deaf and I didn't realize I was dyslexic because I was deaf and I had all mm. things, but I've got a master's degree in teaching and learning and education. And I now deliver teaching, learning and education. Mm. I suppose it, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, you know, my dad was a sportsman. He played, you know, pro level football, played football for the RAF and stuff like that. So you could say I had that genetic makeup in my body that allowed right, me right. to be a performer. Again, you know, you've got people whose parents aren't athletes, but are now world-class athletes. So it's a real difficult one. I don't think there were, there are specific, I think there's specific people at specific times of my life and over my lifetime that have influenced me in different ways, whether it be positive or negatively and push me into different situations and scenarios. And I have people now that I admire and uh, aspire to be because they're, you know, they could just be hardworking or they, you know, they are always helping people or, you know, they are mm-hmm. sports people or, you know, they always give something before they even ask for anything back, you know, right, right. all sorts of things like that. So yeah, I, I don't think there is a specific person I could ever go. That person helped me there. I could name probably a hundred people, that have helped there me. you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, right. Everybody everybody had a, a hand in helping you achieve what you did. That's that's nice. You know, with your disability, 
how did that impact you when you were uh, trying to go pro? Did, or did it have any impact? I don't think it did. I, I suppose I didn't find out until I was uh, older um, that I had this, it, I had the problem. So because I think I grew up with it, not realizing, and I, obviously we don't know whether I was born with it or whether it, 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 you know, an illness that came along when I was younger. Obviously I've never allowed it to affect me. Like now people I went to school with, people I played pro rugby with, interna- even international rugby uh, or coached me or taught me don't know don't know I'm deaf you know people nowadays I even talk to on a you know on a business meeting like I probably could have had told you earlier and we could have had this conversation at the end by the way I could have gone by the way I'm half deaf and you would have mm. you would have never known or never guessed it I guess I've learned to deal with it and yes there are scenarios where I struggle so you know if I'm sat at a table and I'm at one end of the table and there's it's, you know there's people at the other end of the table you know you could be you know three four people away if I can't if, if there's noise going on around me, I struggle to hear what they're saying. And if I can't see them, so they're sat on the same side as me, I very, I very, very struggle because I tend to try and read people's lips. And by reading people's lips, I can then also put together the sounds and the, and me reading lips to, you know, be able to be able to deal with that. Did you learn to read lips on your own or did you get coached on that? No, I did it on my own. I mean, I think now probably must be 15, probably 15 years ago um, when I was teaching for a company called Sport Train, we actually did a, a sign British sign language course, and then I taught all my learners to basically to to, to learn how to do sign language because we wanted to teach them a skill they hadn't got, um, and also wanted to go and work with you know deaf children. Uh, I mean, I was very fortunate that at Brighton Football Club, where I worked work there, they had they have a disability, so they have amputees, they have deaf, they're blind, they have lots of different people, and you know you're able to go and work with the, you know work with them. But yeah, I was I was just lucky that you know that I I had all the support I did of it. I didn't look, I didn't, no one's ever taught me anything from it. It's more kind of, except from sign language where, excuse me, the Welsh deaf team, we we used to do, you know, sign language training as part of our training. So when we met, there'd be, you know, 20 minutes of sign language to teach everyone in the team how to sign the different players in the team and everything we did on the pitch, we'd have sign language shorthand to, so people knew what we were doing, when we were doing it, how we were doing it. Um, because mm-hmm. It was really important that, you know, we had, probably seven, six or seven players out of fifth, well, out of probably 20 that could hear nothing. So it, mm. you have to learn to be able to communicate with those guys. And I would, I, w- I would love to say, you know, in, in a few years time that my ability to sign again is a lot, lot better than it was because sometimes I feel really bad that I don't sign anymore because I'm not in that industry where I have to face that disability of hearing people in my daily to day life. So, you know, you lose that skill, to be able to do it. And then when you meet people and you're not able to communicate, it's, it's really hard um, because I take for granted that actually I have partial hearing. Mm-hmm. You just forget because I work in, I work with people who all hear and all, you know, just take for granted that they can hear. They don't, you know, they don't have that problem. They don't, they have people in their daily lives that they have to sign to or who don't wear hearing aids or can not read lips and stuff. I mean, I suppose the scenario now is what I struggle with is, is with the mask situation is, is, People obviously wearing masks. I find it really hard to understand people because they're wearing a mask when they're talking to me, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to be rude, but I actually can't hear. You. Um, but mm. I don't wear hearing aids because I never have because I obviously, like I said, I was born probably with with my defect. Um, I'm unable to to understand them, but they wouldn't know that by looking at me. And, and you know, I'm looking at you now, and you don't seem like you're deaf, and, and you're talking to me fine, and you're listening to me. And one of the, the, the things that you said is that we, if we don't use it, we lose it, right? 
So, <laughs> and that goes with everything, not only with your signing, but even with your, your body. If you don't use it, if you sit on the couch, if you don't go in and take care of your, your health, you know, later on in life, all you're going to be worried about is your health because you're going to have problems. But instead of taking care of your health at an earlier age or, or even now, for those people who may be listening and saying, you know, to, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow's too late. Do it today. <laughs> you know, start now. Get off the couch and do a couple of squats and walk around the house. So then get out and go out and, and take a nice, beautiful walk outside. And it doesn't matter. I, I hear people complaining, oh, it's too cold out or it's too hot out or it's raining. Those are just all excuses when you really have to realize what would you rather do? Walk in the rain and maybe get a little wet or be in a hospital bed because you didn't take care of your health. Yeah, totally. I, I suppose it's, unfortunately, people wait till the worst case scenario to go, I've now got an illness, I'm now injured, I'm now this, I'm now that. And we take for granted what we're able to do. And, and health one of those things where, unfortunately, in the world, we take for granted our health uh, until it's sometimes too late, unfortunately. And, you know, it, like you say, just by going for a walk or, you know, walking up and down the steps in your house 10 times a day, you know, it's it's doing that that one thing more than you did yesterday that will help you and help you feel better and healthier, you know, maybe not eating as much bad food, for example, that's still a, a step in the right direction. But like you say, exercise or fresh air is, is good for the mind and good for even with families and stuff, getting going out with the kids and going walking or just getting out of the house for an hour a day, especially now, like you say, being locked in our houses because of lock stuff like that, mm-hmm. out and go and do something, you know, and, 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 you know, that is a, that's a release in, it, in its own sense. Wes, one of the things that that I admire about you is that you there's no quitting in you. You don't quit. You just go and go and go. And that's a very remarkable, uh, an asset, I think. And when you're working with, with other people who don't necessarily have the same drive that you do, how do you help them attain such a drive? I think it goes kind of going back to, like I said, to the psychological side of it and trying to empathize, empathize with those people and understand, you know, what the problems are and, and, and come up with solutions. The problem we have in the world, I guess, is we always, like we, like you've said and life I've said is we always put barriers and excuses in the way. So it's trying to understand how do you remove those barriers and how do you remove those, but, but come up with a solution to a problem. And it's something my, my, my boss and bosses I've always worked with is, is if we've got a problem, that's great. But don't come to me with a problem, come to me with a solution to the problem. And, and that's what we need to do. And that's what I try and do with people is go, okay, you want to achieve this. Okay. Why you tell, you try and tell me why you can't achieve this. What is it you're finding hard to achieve? Is it knowledge? Is it this barrier? Is it that barrier? And then, like I say to you, step by step, you, you, you try and help and support people. Um, and if I personally can't, and yes, there, you know, there are times where you can't help someone to the degree you need to because you don't have the skill set, you don't have the knowledge or whatever you, like I do, I refer them to people and I'm lucky mm-hmm. to, to know lots of different people who are very willing to help people. And like, I said, like I've said to people before in the teaching industry, you may have, you know, there might be a couple of you teaching, you may have a learner who, doesn't learn from you for whatever way because you're teaching you don't understand it they don't get along with you whatever it is so you mm-hmm. you can pass that person to someone else and say Look, can you help me with this person because i believe you may have a different way of teaching that may help that person and and that's why we say to people there is someone out there that can always help help people to to learn and, and achieve it's 
it's just working out how to do that. And, you know, again, if you have to signpost people to other people, then, you know, it's really important to do so and not feel that you're not capable of doing something. But like I say, sometimes mm-hmm. just listening to people, listen to what they've got to say, understand it, then show that you're actually listening to them and, you know, have a conversation with them about what they're talking about and they'll build that trust and in you. And then that always helps because they think, oh, actually, this guy's actually listening to me. He's understanding what I'm saying. He, he's not telling me I don't feel this way. He's actually going, I understand how you feel. I may not have gone through what you're going through. I want to, I want to try and understand it. And if I can't help you in the way that I believe I can, I'm, I'm hopeful I can find someone that can help you and you're doing the right thing by having the, you know, these conversations with people and that's why we say is, is look at it from a positive thing is they've actually gone out of their way because they want to make change they just don't know how so you take that positivity and you you try and push it with them and you might have to you know stand by their side and help them like i've had friends i've taken to psychologists before because i don't have the skill set to deal with it but i'm worried about them and i i go with them to help them because they trust me and they know I'm all I'm trying to do is help them and I have their best interests in heart. And once they build that trust with this other person and they understand that they're actually there to help them, then you can, you can let them crack on, but it's always been open to help people as best you can. I mean, yes, I understand you can only help so many people, mm-hmm. but you can right. just do what you can do and you can offer help and support. And, and, and that's what I do. And that, and that's, that's important. I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, and you're doing the right thing for them. Because you're saying, if I can't help you, let me take you to someone who can. And that's, that's, that's a, a real gift that a lot of people miss on the opportunity of doing that and thinking of, well, if I'm going to help you no matter what, but maybe you're hurting them instead of finding out, you know what, there's somebody who can actually help them. Let me take you to them instead. So what would you like to see happen uh with the sport of rugby what would you like to see the future of rugby where would you like to see it go it's a simple thing at the moment is obviously just getting everyone allowed to go back and play sport you know from a young age grassroots all the way up to senior rugby luckily you know at international professional level they're you know they're still allowed to train and still allowed to play which is which is great because that's their you know that's their livelihood and that's what you know needs to be to done but you know at the, at the bottom level at the moment you know there's kids and children and you know you know people of all ages sexes disabilities abilities that are not able to play and, and that's having a, a real negative impact on everyone and it's not just rugby it's every every single activity so if a mm-hmm. moment is a simple one is is you know getting us back to the point where people can actually go out and you know exercise generally and, and then go from there i guess but i mean the more people playing the more people experiencing it the opportunity for everyone no matter of race religion disability ability male female you know all these different things is just you know give, giving people opportunities to to get involved in things because you know you find when they get involved they really enjoy it and that's the, the thing like you say people might not like going for a walk or they might not like going for a bike ride or for swimming but they might go i love dancing or i love gymnastics or i love mm-hmm. or i love rugby or football or basketball or whatever it may be and finding that thing and providing opportunities is 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 what we need to do you know as much as possible and and that's a, probably a big thing for the governments to look at is going how can we provide more money to help people be healthier and so you just mentioned something with the government do you believe the government should step in more and and help people because if somebody is healthier they're going to be more productive at work the the business itself is going to be more productive and financially it's better for the business to have healthy employees than unhealthy employees and it actually saves a lot of money if somebody is healthy 
especially for for the business owner yeah i mean it's, it's i mean it's quite a difficult question really because obviously the, the government's money and where they fund things is probably not one of my strong points to be fair right, right. You know, but i mean yes i mean obviously if governments and governing bodies and employee employers could you know or it was law to you have to put, put a certain amount of money into per person like, well i know companies that you know put money into their employees where they get a certain amount of money towards healthcare every year to to help them and support them which is great so yeah obviously you know if the if the governments could help people be more healthy or you know help the education be there to to bring in health and well-being at a, 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 a you know a school level to, to you know so where as we grow up we're going to be healthier and and great and you know it's easy for you know easy to sit here and say yeah just put some more money in there Again, I understand the logistics and the politics and everything behind it. It probably isn't as easy as that. And obviously, with mm-hmm. the scenario we're in at the moment, it's it's a very difficult one because obviously, like you know, the, the economic status of the countries and the world is uh, not in the best place that we can be in. But yeah, I mean, obviously, if we can make people healthier, at least they'll they'll live longer and they'll feel better and there'll be less illness. Therefore, probably less pressure on the medical industry. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there are other. There's lots of other things to take into consideration. You took the the women's league, or you created the women's league in rugby? No, no, no. So I, I just kind of helped in in the area we were in when we were in Wales. We were teaching. We were we basically started up girls teams to basically you know that the the women's rugby was developed by probably the you know the, the unions and the and and, and the government the governing bodies. We've obviously all we've done is gone. Here we go. We're going to help and put in place you know, clubs or teams or community sessions or events and stuff like that to, you know, help build the awareness of it and provide the opportunity for people to do that. And obviously, as you provide that opportunity, it just grows and grows and grows. And then, you know, there's lots and lots of people out there that, you know, do a massive amount of charity work, volunteer work to allow that to happen. So it was more, we kind of helped develop those areas because it, like you say, you kind of have what we call KPIs is, you would have been told that you need to make sure that you develop this side of sport, whether it's disability or women's sport or a grassroots or academy level, whatever it was. And then that would be a focus of what you needed to do. And mm-hmm. to be fair to like governments and, and, and governing bodies, what they sometimes say is, is if you have this unit, so you have girls rugby in your club or you have this many teams or you have disability in your club, you basically get extra funding to help you support run that which is great and obviously encourage people to try and help that. But again, you've got to have the people qualified in those areas to try and help people grow. And that's the thing is, is the more people we can educate and qualify in that area, the, the lot easier it would be to obviously grow things quicker, um, if that makes sense. It does, actually. <laughs> so let me ask you, Wes, why are you still coaching? And are you going to retire I mean, I'm not coaching to the same level as I as I, I did um, a few years ago. As uh, just because my the business that I work in is is now taking more of forefront to to what I do. Um, I still work in education because I love working in education, and I'm I'm very lucky to be really provided the opportunity to continue doing that um, with my coaching. I you know I'm training. I train people to coach co- coaches and coach people. So I you know I do my best to actually give people who want coaching to these people to help and support them because I'm only one person. I can only coach so many people. Mm -hmm. And as I said, as my time has become hard to manage due to, you know, my business and everything else that goes on in my life, Mm. it's important that I've just kind of taken a step back from working with 
a lot of probably teams, clubs and, and athletes because I believe they need the best. And if I can't give them my best and I can't give them my time that they deserve, then I give them someone who can give them that time and can give them that opportunity because I wouldn't want to be the person that restricts them from achieving their potential because I can't give them everything of me because I'm in re I'm restricted. But you're, you're still giving in because you're training coaches. <laughs> so let me ask you, what advice would you give someone who wanted to be a coach? Again, it, it depends in kind of what, what area you, you're looking to coach, but in any, if it's, for example, a, a sport, for example, is, is, you know, go, 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 go find a club, um, a local club and, and, and just basically volunteer to get involved. And normally the club will be provided with money to allow them to train you to then support it, whether you are supporting an under fives to an under 15s team, it doesn't matter. It's about, you know, the mo all you've got to do is provide the opportunity for you to be put there and then help and support because, you know, clubs and people, clubs are always crying out for people to help volunteer their time. Um, and that's all you need to do. And they will reward you with qualifications. So it, it's, it's, if it's something that interests you is, is, you know, you're never too old to get involved, go and, mm -hmm. go and get involved and get qualified in some shape or form. And there, there's structures in place there to help you, you know, help you become a coach in whatever way you want to be there you know, connect with people, whether it's through LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram. And, you know, there'll be always be people out there willing to help and support you and push you in the right direction, provide you with advice and guidance to to help you make choices and decisions. So, yeah, it's, it, like I say, it's more about if you want something, go and get it. Um, it's down to you to do that. And, you you know, just keep going until you find, you find what you need to, to, to get to where you need to get to. And, yeah, I agree with you. It's uh, whatever passion you, you have – Go after it and then look for the people who are going to guide you in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Wes, thank you so much for, for today. It's been great talking to you. I really appreciate your time and thank you very much for that. And that's very kind um, for you to say so. And like I say, if, if uh, anyone ever needs my help, feel free to reach out and I'll do whatever I can to help them. Perfect. And and tell us, how, how can somebody reach you? Um, the number of different ways. Obviously, you can you can reach me through kind of Instagram or from, from LinkedIn or Facebook um, through my company, which is uh, Moodoo uh, Health. Um, so you can literally just go and type in info at moodoo.com, um, send me an email, get them, send them an email, say, you're, you know, you're looking for Wes uh, and, you know, go from that way or I, my name's Wesley Pooley. So, you know, basically find me on you know Facebook and uh, send me a message um, or, you know, have speak to yourself and, you know, just pass on my details. I'm more than happy for you to do so. Yeah, I'll definitely put your, your details in the description and anybody who wants to reach you, they can definitely do that as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate being part of your podcast. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.